Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Liz Bloomfield. She is the executive director of a nonprofit called Ripple Effect Images. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your story and your journey. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Brad. It's great to be here. Excellent. It is awesome to have you here. I was just saying before we jumped on to record here, I'm so excited to be doing this interview with you because I love what Ripple Effect Images stands for and what they are all about. So I'm just over the moon excited to jump in and share with the community what Ripple Effect Images is all about and share about the work that you are doing for and with Ripple Effect Images. So with that being said, let's jump right in. So as mentioned, you're the executive director of Ripple Effect Images. How long have you been the executive director and when was Ripple Effect Images started? I've been the executive director at Ripple for coming up for three years now, but the Ripple story starts much earlier than that. And it starts with our incredible founder, Annie Griffiths, who is an extremely accomplished photographer with a long career in photography, primarily with National Geographic, where she's traveled the world and really done some extraordinary work in particular as it relates to women. And in the course of her career, she just kept seeing again and again these incredible stories of women who were just getting it done. Women who were finding ways in which to overcome the challenges that they encountered in their day-to-day life and then finding ways to fix it. And then the impact, them rippling out to their families, to their communities, and even more broadly. And it got her thinking, you know, if if this is happening in some pockets of the world, how can we ensure that that message is getting out there? How can we shine a light on what is working so that those solutions can be replicated, so that they can have even wider impact and really transform lives on an even greater scale? So she got together some of her fellow photographers and filmmakers, and together they formed Ripple effect images. And over the past 11 plus years, Ripple has continued to do these extraordinary coverages comprising still photography, as well as film, and more recently also using animated film to show, you know, these amazing people and these extraordinary stories so that people can learn from them, so that they can attract more investment, so that they can really, really ripple out on an even greater scale. I love the name of the guy. It is so fitting and appropriate for the work that's being done. So the main purpose is to highlight women. Could you talk a little bit more about the mission of the company? Yeah, so Ripple is a nonprofit that multiplies the impact of proven solutions by using world-class photography and film to highlight 
solutions, to highlight things that are proven to have an impact. And so, you know, let me give you an example. Um, I'm going to transport you to rural Chad and <laughs> tell you the story of Hindu Umaru Ibrahim, who is a quite extraordinary woman, a nomadic woman that grew up in rural Chad and against the odds and with the extraordinary support of her mother, got an education and now combines her indigenous knowledge with 3D mapping to optimize access to water in the region, which in a part of the world where water insecurity is a huge source of conflict, this is really transformative. She's an amazing woman. She really is very committed to her roots as an indigenous person, but she's also really taking her community with her in terms of how they can use more modern solutions to improve their lives day to day. And so her story is just incredible. And we made a film about her a few years ago. And we, over the past couple of years, we've been using that film to reach audiences that wouldn't necessarily be paying attention to issues like this. And I think that's where the real impact comes. I think that's where visual storytelling in particular is so powerful because you can still tell stories about difficult topics, but in a way that entertains. And I think the film Mapping Survival that we created featuring Hindu has gone on to win a number of awards at film festivals. But more importantly, Hindu has continued to rise in prominence and now speaks on truly global platforms. She is an advocate at the UN. She's a representative for Indigenous peoples on... You know, major international platforms and she's continued to grow in her influence and so I think she's an example of how shining a light on solutions can help accelerate their impact. That is an incredible story. I think it speaks to the importance of having visual content in order to capture the attention of audiences. Right. And I think that's where we hope in some small way we've been able to support Hindu in her having the visual content that has enabled her to get featured in press articles, that's enabled her to tell her story in different in front of different audiences. I think at the end of the day, these women are successful because they are incredible women. Yes. What we at Ripple want to do is to elevate and amplify their extraordinary voices so that they can really have the impact that they deserve and that the world needs. I think it's incredible the work that Ripple Effect Images is doing and to highlight these women who wouldn't normally get the exposure that they're getting to start the ball rolling and highlighting the work that they're doing. It's absolutely incredible. So I'm curious, though, where do these films and images, like where do they get put out like how do they get put out to the public what kind of places are they are the stories highlighted like where are they shown where are these films shown where are the images shown that you capture of these incredible women Thanks, Brad. Um, great question. I mean, it really does vary. Initially, when Ripple started out, we were creating a lot of content that our nonprofit partners were using primarily to mobilize resources, to fundraise, okay. to get the message out about what they were doing and how it was working, you know, so they could mobilize more funds so that they could get access to the resources they needed to take their programs to a bigger scale. But actually, over the past 
10, 11 years, we've continued to grow and evolve that model. And I think what we're very aware of is that while very much there's a need to create these stories that nonprofits can use for their own fundraising purposes, or sometimes for advocacy reasons, if they're seeking to engage particular audiences around perhaps a policy change, there's also really valuable opportunities to reach wider audiences. And as I mentioned before, one of the things that we're very mindful of is for as long as we're telling stories of women's empowerment to audiences who are already 100% sold on women's empowerment, we're not necessarily going to move the needle. And the real opportunities come when you're reaching audiences that are perhaps currently indifferent or passive on these issues. And what we've found over the last couple of years, as a number of our films have received really wide recognition at international film festivals, is suddenly we're elevating these films to audiences that just weren't paying attention to these issues. And that's really magical because that's where we have an opportunity to really educate and engage people on themes that otherwise they really wouldn't have been front of mind for them. That's where the power lies of the work and highlighting these incredible women. Can you speak a little bit more about the recognition that Ripple Effect Images has received for the work and its global initiatives that it's put into place? Of course. I think that one of the things I'm so grateful for is our extraordinarily talented storytellers, our photographers, our filmmakers, our animators, our writers. You know, I could keep going, but these (laughs) are world-class people and they're just so skilled at identifying a powerful story and then conveying it both in a really engaging way, but also in a very empowering way. And I think that's where we've seen recognition at film festivals for this quite unique way in which Ripple is telling these stories. We very much focus on amplifying the voices of the people who are driving the change or the people who are benefiting, whose lives are being transformed by these extraordinary programs. And I think there's a real appreciation of this commitment that we have to this style of storytelling. We received an award just a few weeks ago from the African International Film Festival, and we also had the fabulous honour of two of our films being shown at the prestigious Telluride Film Festival in Colorado earlier this year. It was part of, they were shown as part of the education programme at that film festival. And again, it was just, it was a really great opportunity, but also testament to the quality of the films that Ripple is making, and also the level of interest in the themes that we're covering. That is beautiful. Congratulations to you all. That's an incredible achievement. So Ripple Effect Images started out as and is a woman-led company which focuses solely on amplifying the stories and voices of women. Was it the intention from inception of the company to be a woman-led company? Ripple definitely started from a place of the extraordinary power of investing in women. I think there's so much evidence that demonstrates that women pay it forward. So an investment in a woman's health, her education, her well-being, those investments extend to impact her family, her community, her wider community within which she lives. And I think that's something that very much is underpins Ripple's approach. But are we a, a solely women women organization focused with only women involved? No, no, we have some of our team main members, our board members, our photographers are men. And that's really important to us. We're not creating an organization that excludes men. We're creating an inclusive organization that brings a range of different talents and perspectives and experiences into our shared community with the shared goal of 
elevating and amplifying these solutions that empower women. And so that's the distinction that I would make. It's very much not about excluding men. We feel really strongly that, you know, and I know you will understand this, Brad, men have such an important role to play in creating a a fairer and more just world. And so do boys. Investing in boys early in their lives um, is how we will over time get to a place of, of of greater equality. Now, when it was started out, though, did it just start out as a woman-run business or were there men involved from inception? There have been men involved from inception. Um, The important distinction to make is that it's women-led. Right, yes. We have a lot of of men that are part of our fabulous team. The organization is led by women. Yeah, okay, perfect. Now, what is your role and responsibility as the executive director of Ripple? and of a non-profit organization. The executive director role in a non-profit, especially a, non-pro- a small non-profit, is a lot of different hats. It's my responsibility to ensure the day-to-day running of the organization. So that's anything from ensuring you know, our financial well-being, ensuring we have clear objectives and strategy, that our team are empowered and clear on you know, the different programs that we are focused on. And I also work very closely in liaison with our board, our board leadership. Ripple is fortunate to have a fabulous group of board members who really have a wide range of different lived experiences and bring that experience into our wonderful space. And so the executive director leads the day-to-day running of the organization, but then does that in liaison with the leadership, the board. I'm very curious to know how you came to be the executive director of Ripple. How did this whole thing unfold for you? How did you get involved? Well, my career path today has been very winding I think is a way to summarize it I like to say that I've optimized for interesting and and I I'm pretty sure I don't think there's anyone out there that has followed quite the same path that I have I started my career in the military. I was oh, a British okay. Army officer for about eight years. And during that time, I deployed overseas to Iraq, for example, in 2003. And that was the early part of my career. After leaving the army, I worked for the UK police force and then was an executive within the corporate sector for some years. But all of this time, I had this something within me, a seed that was planted back during my military phase of my career that I wanted to return to humanitarian work. And about eight or so years ago, I made the transition into the humanitarian sector and was working on a number of different issues, often deploying to the field and with a particular focus on the protection of civilians trapped in conflict situations. And then subsequently with more focus on responding to disasters, whether that's, you know, hurricanes or earthquakes or other natural disasters. But during that time, it really cemented in me this focus on engaging local communities and finding solutions and really investing in people at the grassroots level, because that's where so many of the really transformative solutions can be found. And so when the opportunity came up to work with Ripple, it really brought together so many of my passions, my passions in terms of focusing on solutions, my passions in terms of amplifying and elevating local leaders, and also my passion for storytelling. And I think all of those things coming together, it felt like such a great fit. And three years in, I'm still feeling like it was perhaps too good to be true, but I, you know, so far so good. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is one hell of a winding road of a career that you've had, a career path. You aren't joking, that 
Holy crow. That is incredible. So you've been able to bring all of your experience in many of the different sectors and areas you've worked in into and forward into your work with Ripple. I think that's absolutely incredible. It's synchronistic. It is. Yeah. And sometimes it's about kind of just trusting the process, trusting yourself and your instinct that you're not quite sure where this might be going but if you keep an open mind and you are curious then you never know where it's going to take you and it opens the doors on some really unexpected but beautiful things yeah i mean look at the work you're getting to do now with ripple i think that's absolutely incredible like you said it marries all of your passions and all of your work into one place you must just sometimes pinch yourself and like you said like is this really real is this really happening yeah certainly i do <laughs> you specialize in in helping purpose-driven people who are committed to serving others to increase their positive impact without compromising their own well-being why is this work mission and purpose so personally important to you liz so over the last few years during my time in the humanitarian sector and more recently in the work that i've been doing with ripple alongside that i've also been working with a number of individuals who you know, I see time and time again, people who work in purpose-driven roles, whether that's as a teacher or a medical professional, or whether it's a humanitarian, or whether it's a parent or a carer, people who give a lot of their selves to their work or the things that they do day to day, but don't always take the time to invest in themselves to fill their own cup, as it were. And so I also coach people who, you know, are seeking that kind of balance in their lives. They know they want to have a positive impact in the world, but maybe they're just so tired. They're just so overwhelmed. They're just feeling like they are unable to maximize their impact because their energy has been depleted. And so as a coach, I also work with individuals sometimes to help them bring that balance back to their lives. And it, it matters to me because I've been there. Many of my closest colleagues and friends have been there. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's not about saying, you know, I've done everything I can here in this job, but it's taken everything I've got and I'm going to need to walk away. Sometimes it's just about revisiting what matters most, refocusing on the priorities, really getting clear on how to make space in your life to yeah. ensure that you're, you know, you're in allowing your own well-being to be given the right level of priority. And that to me, I just think is so important because there's so many people doing great work, having real impact. But I think some of those people are holding on by their fingertips at times and yeah. I think you know I love working with people to just try and chart a course to to enable them to keep having an Im impact but also take good care of themselves. Liz you yourself are a powerhouse I mean not only are you the executive director of Ripple and wear many hats there you're as you just mentioned you also coach and also this is a great segue into my next question is you're a member of women emerging expedition can you speak to that a little bit and share a bit about what women emerging expedition is all about and what your role is as part of that i mean it, there's no end to to all the the things you're doing it's incredible I love talking about this expedition <laughs> because I think it, this expedition just brings together so many of the things I care so passionately about. So when the opportunity came up to join this wonderful cadre of 24 women, I jumped at the chance. So let me tell you about the expedition. It came together on the basis of that many women who may be really well suited or may have a lot to offer as a leader 
in whether that's in whatever sector, in whatever field, but they have real potential to be a transformative leader, but are just not attracted to the current paradigms of leadership. Now, that may sound a little bit opaque and abstract. So let's let me dig into that a little bit more. Please. I think, you know, sometimes there are expectations about what a leader should look like, should behave like, whether that's, you know, projecting strength kind of physically and verbally, whether that's being a certain kind of person, and that if they want to step into a leader role, they will somehow need to morph themselves into being that person, meeting those expectations. And that's just not something that aligns with their values. And what we're doing on the expedition is saying, you know, I think there is another way, there is a way to identify approaches to leadership that resonate more strongly with women. Now, that's not to say all women are the same. It's not to say all women are looking for the same approach to leadership. That's not the case at all. But I think it's just being more honest about what that effective leadership could look like. And so the expedition came together and is named an expedition for exactly that reason. The curiosity that we're doing in going out there and asking the questions, not just of executives in corporations in the Western world, but in the communities, in rural parts of the world, in the global South, whether that's leaders in different sectors that whether that's education, whether that's leaders in climate change, there's really the full breadth of different experiences, as well as cultures. The 24 women are all from different parts of the world, all from different socioeconomic backgrounds, all with very different lived experiences. We set off on this virtual expedition in May of 2020. And we'll be wrapping up this initial phase of the expedition in the early part of 2023. And then the really interesting part comes in terms of like how we then get the word out there to the broader world. But we're not there yet. We're (laughs) a little over halfway in. And it's just been fascinating for me. And, you know, I've I've been had lots of different experiences in my life. I feel fortunate to have had that. And yet, even now, the the different women that I engage with on this expedition, it's opening my eyes to just how sometimes we have become programmed to think of things in a certain way, just through our upbringing, through the things that we have lived through. And I think it's just so valuable to have those assumptions challenged, to have people ask those questions in a different way. And so I'm really hopeful that this expedition will generate outcomes that challenge us to approach things differently. I'm not sure what that will look like in practice. And I hope maybe I'll be able to come back on this podcast at some point. And yeah. That. But I think it's the, the opportunity to create these spaces, these safe spaces where people can share and challenge and explore and unpack is a really important part of us working towards the change that we need in the world. Incredible. You are such an incredible inspiration, Liz, with all the things you're doing out in the world for women and being such an advocate. I think it's incredible. Now, Thank you, Brad. Right, oh. back at, right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> so Ripple has also been re- re- recognized for their work as advocates for women, of course, and women's empowerment. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the awards that have been received and for the work as advocates and what those accolades mean to 
not only you, but the overall, the organization. Yeah, I mentioned a couple of the awards that Ripples yeah. received this year from the African International Film Festival. We were also honoured to receive an award from the World Health Organization, from the Health for All Film Festival. And we also received a fabulous award last year from the Africa Film for Impact Festival. And that's just a very small <laughs> sample of some of the awards. And why do they matter? I think they matter because, A, it enables us to reach wider audiences. I think, B, it's really energizing to have the appreciation that this commitment to storytelling that the Ripple team has is appreciated because it's hard. It's hard to create films where you don't use a narrator. It's hard to tell stories where you rely entirely on the voices of people. It's beautiful, but it's difficult work. It's time consuming. It requires a level of commitment amongst our team and it requires a level of commitment amongst the people that we are filming the stories that we're telling and I think the you know given how much of themselves all of those people give to the creation of this films it means a lot when that's recognized and so I think you know those two things together reaching wider audiences but also you know a, com a confirmation that this type of storytelling is appreciated and it's something that we should continue to invest in. Beautiful. Yeah, storytelling is such an important part and plays such an important piece and part in this world in general. Everybody has a story to tell. And when you're able to create and put that and bring that across or put that across to highlight incredible people doing incredible things, it's just so magical. True. Liz, what excites, inspires, or lights you up the most about the work that you're doing? I'm just so inspired by the focus on solutions. I'm very conscious that in the news headlines, in the media that we consume day to day, there's so much emphasis on problems, disasters, crises, victims, what's not working, this is so hard, how are we ever going to find a path out of this mess that we're in. And yet the reality that I've experienced again and again is that there's so many things that are working. There are so many things that are getting better. And albeit this past three years and the global pandemic have thrown all kinds of additional obstacles into the road, the reality is there's still a great deal of things out there that are working. And I, I take real energy from opportunities to shine a light on those solutions, shine a light on what's working so that the investment can be channeled towards that, whether that's financial investment, whether that's energy, whether that's the storytelling and the media attention, channeling the resources in the direction of solutions. For me, that's the opportunity. That's where we have a chance to actually make a difference. And so that's what lights me up is let's focus on the good things. Let's not you know, be blinkered to the fact that there's a lot of really difficult things going on out there. But let's also think about what happens when you really invest and multiply the, the proven approaches to some of the challenges that we face. You, you invest in what's working because then you have a real opportunity to make a difference. I love that. And yeah, I mean, all too often through the media and whatnot, it tends to focus on the negative and the bad things. That, and then all the positive things that are going on, all the good things that are happening don't get highlighted. So mm -hmm. again, this speaks to what incredibly powerful, important and beautiful work that Ripple is doing and that you're doing 
with Ripple, as well as the Women Emerging Expedition and your coaching and all of these things. It just highlights the positivity, which is needed and so important. For sure. Yeah. On the flip side of that, Liz, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts about the work that you do? I think one of the, you know, something that I really wrestle with is the reality that we can't support everyone we would like to. We're constrained by our own time and resources, and we have to make difficult decisions about the stories that we cover, the women that we shine a light on. And I could, for every film that we make, we could make a hundred more. We could make a thousand more. There's so many of these inspirational women out there. And so that's hard because I just want to tell all of these stories. <laughs> I, I want Ripple to be able to support all of these women. And, and so that's what I find challenging. And I guess the flip side is that that just drives me to want to do more. It, it yeah. drives me to want to engage more donors and supporters, foundations, corporations that want to invest in the work that we're doing so that we can have an even greater impact. And I think going into 2023, we have really ambitious plans of how we want to grow Ripple, how we want to expand what we're doing, how we want to not only tell these stories, but also invest in the local storytellers so that we're having a ripple effect in multiple directions. That's what excites me every day. And I'm curious, how are the stories, how are these women found? Like, do do people submit stories about certain women that are doing certain things? Like, how does Ripple find the stories that they highlight? Lots of different ways. Sometimes in the past, we've had opportunities for people to submit the stories. We have a really wide network of nonprofit and social impact partners that we work with that are constantly on the lookout for these solutions. And so, yeah, it's not hard to find them, Brad. Yeah. Once, once you tune your eye in and you're looking for them, they just keep coming because there are people out there really every single day looking for ways, finding ways to solve the problems in their day-to-day -day lives. And yeah, once you're looking for it, they're everywhere that you look. They, yeah, they just appear. Absolutely. Yeah. What drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and pushing and excelling at all that you do, Liz? I think it's because I can genuinely see the ripple effect. When I look back at some of the stories that Ripple covered early in its evolution. So I think about TIST, which is a tree planting and reforestation program that invests in local farmers in tree planting initiatives. And over the past 10 years, their impact has just been extraordinary. And they would certainly say that the partnership with Ripple came at a real tipping point in their own evolution in helping them elevate and tell their story more broadly. I can see that ripple effect happening. And so that inspires me because it, it just makes me constantly be thinking, well, then what else can we do? How else can we do that? And I think also you know, the, the fact that sometimes it's a long game. You have to be making the right choices. You have to be telling the right stories and engaging the right people and planting the seed so that over time, those changes will manifest. Yeah. And so I think sometimes it requires patience, but I think it's just constantly thinking about what seeds can I plant today? What <laughs> seeds can I plant today that you know may not bear fruit tomorrow? What about if they start to bear fruit in one year or five years or 10 years? And, and I think that's, that's the inspiration. It, it does require patience. You don't get instant gratification from that kind of approach. But I think that's, again, what comes back to our name and comes back to the, the work that I do day to day. It's how can we just keep planting those seeds for a better future? I love it. 
And with you being such a strong advocate and voice for women and women's empowerment, what advice do you have for women looking to grow either their own business or within a company that they work for? I would always say, like, look for your partners, find your partners, your advocates, people who you can take strength from. And sometimes people don't want to do that because maybe it's a competitor or maybe it's somebody who's also going to be in line for that promotion. And actually the reality in my own experience is my greatest source of strength over you know the 20 plus years of my career has been that the other women that I've partnered with, that I've built relationships with. When I was in the British military, I was part of a group of all of the female military officers in the British army. And that is one of the most supporting environments that I've ever been in. Just so much commitment to lifting one another up. And I would say the same for anyone who's in that position and looking to to grow themselves or that business is find the advocates, find the partners, find the people that you can share and walk that journey together with because they will be such a source of strength for you. There is so much incredible power in community. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're not meant to do this alone. Entrepreneurship, uh, life, it doesn't matter. We're meant to do this in collaboration with others. So that's incredibly sound and, and important advice. Thank you for sharing that, Liz. Are you seeing a shift in terms of more women making a shift where they are stepping into more coveted or more important roles within corporations and organizations, or even making the jump out of corporate and into entrepreneurship? And if so, why do you think that is? I think I would answer that with a resounding yes and no. I think yes, for sure, there are more women stepping into those roles. And that's fabulous. I think my hesitation comes is that I would sometimes counter question at what cost? You know, what are those women having to compromise in terms of their own identity, their own integrity, their own values in order to conform to the expectations of what they need to be in order to perform in those roles. And so I think that, again, speaks to my own commitment to really unpacking what an effective leader looks like, that it's not about lifting women up to some kind of imagined standard of or blueprint of what a good leader looks like, but it's creating the space for those women to be effective leaders on their own terms in an authentic way. And I don't think we're there yet. And that's why the work that I do in all aspects of my life is about really challenging us as a society to say, hey, how do we break some of these stereotypes about good leadership? How do we learn from what's working in all walks of life so that we can create environments where women can thrive as leaders in a really authentic way and not feel like they need to morph themselves into something else in order to advance in life? Yeah, for sure. The needle is being moved, but it's not moving nearly quick as it should or needed to be. We need more women in positions of importance and power and all of these things. I think that it would be so much better for the world over and organizations, corporate, whatever it may be, if more women were able to step into roles of leadership. It's so important. I think a more inclusive approach to leadership serves everyone. It's not about it just being for some kind of ethical reason. The reality is everyone benefits. And, you know, I'd love to tell you a story that sure. goes like 
20 years back to the time when I was deployed in Iraq as part of the British Army. And I was leading troops of both US and UK soldiers. And we'd been given the task of reestablishing the rail infrastructure in southern Iraq. And initially, I got a lot of resistance from my chain of command. They said things like, you know, I, I, I'm sure you do a great job, Liz, but I'm just not sure this is going to work. These local Iraqi civilians are not used to working with someone like you. And it was just really interesting because actually what transpired was really different. The local Iraqi rail workers very much were in the lead in terms of re-establishing their rail network. But in the early meetings that we had, led by male officers, there was a real tension in the room. There was this real kind of struggle for dominance of who <laughs> was going to be in charge. And yet away from that dynamic, when I was engaging with my Iraqi counterparts, that just went away. That tension really didn't materialize in the same way when, when, when I was engaging with them. And you know, we went on to be really successful in our shared goal of reestablishing the rail infrastructure in spite of my gender. We found a way to work together, you know, despite that some of their beliefs, we found a way to work together that just made it possible for us to get things done. And I think that really opened my eyes early on that gender will open doors rather than close doors. And that really set the tone for me later in my career is, you know, let's not think about this as a barrier that needs to be overcome. But how can we use our differences, our different perspectives to achieve goals in a more imaginative, in a more creative, in a different way? We have to set aside some of those limiting assumptions. And so that experience that I had very early in my career, I think, set the tone for the kind of leader that I wanted to be. Now, now don't get me wrong, I was 24. And I was like, I made loads of mistakes as a leader. But Mm -hmm. it definitely helped me understand that I shouldn't, you know, take some of those perceived barriers at face value, that sometimes you have to be curious, you have to ask questions, you have to listen, really, really listen to what people are saying. And that really set the tone for how I've then gone on to approach other challenging experiences in my career. I love that story. And this illustrates that point exactly to the fact that we need more women in positions of leadership. Like, look, you put men in charge of something and it's a pissing contest. It's a testosterone battle. It's like, Mm -hmm. and then a woman steps in to kind of level the playing field and bring calm to the situation and shit gets done. Mm -hmm. That's just it. That's like, this is, this is a perfect example of it right here. Right. You epitomize that. This story epitomizes exactly that and how powerful that is. Yeah. And I think the more we can replicate those kind of experiences, the more we can empower women and people of all different backgrounds. You know, this is just as relevant in all kinds of other underrepresented groups. It's like, how can we hold space to see the opportunities rather than just constantly thinking of them as barriers? Yeah, I love it. Thank you for sharing that story. That is so important. And like I said, it just illustrates the point. Amazing. What do you think is one of the most significant barriers to female leadership, Liz? It really follows on with what we've just explored there Mm -hmm. around the limiting beliefs or the perceived limiting beliefs and how they can really inhibit both how women show up as leaders, how 
other people within organizations perceive those women and their potential and their opportunity. But I also think there's an important theme relating to, to risk. Leading transformative change in any field, whether that's in the corporate sector, whether that's as an entrepreneur, whether that's as a humanitarian, driving change is inherently risky. And yeah. I think what I've witnessed, what I've seen, what I've observed over the years is that sometimes when women are bold and take risks in the leadership and it doesn't work out as planned, it can sometimes come back at them as well for women, clearly, you know, maybe not up to this level of leadership. And yet for men, sometimes that can come back as, oh, well, maybe they just made the wrong call on this occasion. Yeah. And so I think consciously or unconsciously, it can result in women being more risk averse because they know the consequences if whatever it is that they are leading doesn't work out. Yeah. And I think that's a problem because I think it then, you know, there's a bias in terms of the likelihood of people being able to be successful as a leader. And, I, you know, how do we overcome this? I think we have to be genuinely committed to learning environments within organizations, being willing to accept that, Sometimes things won't work out, but that's okay because that's what happens when you do difficult things, when you try new things. And I think sometimes organizations or even people who are, you know, solopreneurs hold themselves to an extremely high standard, even though they might say that they're committed to learning. But the reality is how that's lived out does not promote an environment of continual learning and growth and taking those risks. And I, I think there's ways in which we can overcome that, but it requires a real shift in mindset towards being willing to learn, being willing to take risks and accept the consequences. And, and I do think there is still sometimes a difference in how women and men are perceived in those situations. For sure. And I think that conversation, having those conversations is another important piece of that puzzle because conversation is the catalyst for change. We need to start talking about this stuff more too mm -hmm. in Absolutely. order to get the steps put into place to take action, to move towards these things. Exactly. What does the word empowerment mean to you, Liz? It's such a good question, Brad, because I think it's a word we use, or certainly I use, freely, often, regularly, every day. And yet you really do have to unpack what's behind that. And when I do that, I always come back to listening. That actually, to truly empower somebody, you've got to listen to what they're saying and be willing to act on that or whatever that might be, whatever that might look like. And so... Yeah. When we're speaking about empowerment, what that means to me, it means listening intently, actively in a way that where you're really getting past some of the, the surface and really getting beneath what someone is telling you, whether it's a solution, whether it's a suggestion, whether it's feedback, whether it's insight or wisdom. And I think only through that active listening can you get to a place where you can elevate and amplify those voices. And so that to me, I think people feel empowered when they feel they've been truly listened to. And when people are interested enough in what they have to say, that it then empowers them to say more. And, and you know, I, I, I'll give you another example here yeah. in, with Ripple. The work that Ripple does in telling the stories of these extraordinary successful programs has a positive impact in its own right. It elevates those programs, it, it shines a light, it provides the opportunities to attract more investment in those programs. But you often also see a real transformation in the women themselves. Because sometimes it's the first time that someone has listened to their story. And you see it in their body language. They're sitting up straighter. They're speaking more confidently because somebody cares 
about what they're doing. Somebody is interested and engaged enough in the work that they're doing to come and listen and film and tell their story. And it brings a confidence in them that drives them to go on and have even greater impact. And so when I think about empowerment for me, it always starts from listening, Real, I love, really good listening. I love that you said active listening because I find that people don't do that. That's an, a skill set that not a lot of people possess. I find that people listen just so they can respond and they don't actively listen and pay attention to what's being said. It's so true, Bad. And you know, I think if you asked anybody, if you walked out on the street and asked people if they thought they were a good listener, I would say 99% of people would say, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> but I've had a really interesting experience this past year because I joined my local Toastmasters group, which is a group that helps you develop your speaking and communication yeah. skills. And I joined this group and before joining the group, I didn't realize that actually it was focused primarily on supporting people who were recovering from brain injuries or conditions such as Parkinson. And it's just been such an eye opener. I decided to stay in the group and it's been really fascinating because these amazing people who are dealing with a change in their ability to communicate, they now have perhaps lost some of their confidence in speaking publicly. They don't have the skills that they perhaps once had. And being in that group has really opened my eyes to what being a good listener is really about, that you need to give people the space to express themselves. Sometimes these days we're in such a rush, you know, get to the point say it in 160 yeah. characters, you know, come on, come on, tell me what you want to say. And in this group, that's just not the case. We have to give people the space to express themselves, but we also observe their body language. What are they saying in other ways? What are the nonverbal cues? And I think some of the learning that I've taken from being in these conversations, not only are these people truly inspirational in the courage with which they're addressing the challenges that they face, but I've just learned so much from them. And I think it's so relevant also, for example, with people who don't speak English as a first language and sometimes need a little bit more time or space or whatever it might be and how you can create the conditions so that people are able to fully express themselves that it doesn't have to be you know very succinct bullet points that actually <laughs> sometimes it, you know it requires patience and space and I think it's so important active listening requires us to just adjust our own behaviors to be able to really understand what someone is trying to tell you and and that I think being part of this group has really been life-changing in that respect. That's beautiful and it's absolutely true. It's such an important skill set in life. We need to more people need to actively listen for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Liz, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after learning it? I think when I was starting out in my career and you know, at my early days as a leader, as an officer in the British Army, is, is that somewhere in my head, I felt that in order to be an effective leader, I needed to have all the answers. I needed to be confident in having all the solutions myself. And I think over the course of my career, I've realized that actually some of the most impressive and effective leaders are the ones that recognize that they don't have all of those answers. And I think one of my light bulb moments came sat barefoot on the floor of a community center in rural Myanmar. And I was a humanitarian worker at the time. And the preceding few days, I'd been in meetings in the capital city, Yangon, with people in suits who were 
really committed to finding solutions to the protection of civilians caught up in the conflict, but were just wringing their hands, just didn't have the answers. And it was really demotivating. You know, what are we going to do here? This seems like an unsolvable problem. And a few days later, I traveled out to a rural area of the community. And as I said, sat drinking tea with the local women. And they had so many answers that nobody had thought about. None of them had the title of CEO or was a leader in any formal sense. And yet they knew what they needed in their community in order to protect themselves and their families. And the fog lifted for me in that moment. because it's like, These people have the answers. It's just nobody's paying attention. Nobody's thought to ask. And I think that really was a spark for me. It's something that had been there in the background for me, but that single moment really brought clarity to me that actually there's so many answers out there and the most effective leaders, the people who are really having the most impact are the ones that have the humility to pay attention, to listen, to go out and ask the questions and to admit that they don't have all the answers themselves. And I think the reality is those leaders are quite rare. Actually, we're so conditioned, particularly in Western society, to project strength. You know, I'm in control. And sometimes being willing to admit you don't have all the answers is perceived as a weakness. And in my mind, it's really the greatest strength there is. I love that story. That is beautiful and so powerful. Thank you for sharing that, Liz. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? That's a difficult question to answer (laughs) because, you know, I'm just so fortunate to have had the opportunity to work with incredible people. But I think over time, I'm really more and more recognizing how storytelling, whether that's storytelling on an organizational level, whether that's storytelling in terms of a business model, or whether that's the stories that we tell ourselves, is actually the greatest superpower. And so do I have that to the extent that I would like to? Nowhere near. (laughs) I I want to be a really magnificent storyteller. And I'm humbled by the people that I get to work alongside every day and the skill that they have there. But I think that's an area where I feel there is the greatest opportunity to just change mindsets, to reset our course as society in terms of where we're trying to get to. And I think storytelling really can be the fuel that sparks that. For sure. Now, speaking of success, Liz, how do you define the word success? What does that word mean to you? I always struggle with the question of success because it's so subjective. And I think I often come back to quotes from people who are far smarter than I am. And one of my favorite quotes is from the explorer Freya Stark, who said, There can be no happiness if the things we believe in are different from the things we do. And so when I come back to success and what that means, I think it's just finding that alignment between, you know, our values, the change we want to be and see in the world with what we do each day when we get up in the morning. Beautifully said. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? always a hard question because there are so many you know my (laughs) my parents I'm so grateful for establishing a foundation that I've been so grateful for ever since and they're both truly remarkable people and my husband who's been in my life for longer than he hasn't been and has been an incredible support but honestly I think more recently the person who's had the biggest impact on my life is my son 
because he just, he's now four and a half. And over the course of watching him grow in the world, it's just renewed my faith in humanity. It's renewed my curiosity in the world. It's taken away some of the cynicism that can creep in as you work your way through adult life. And so, you know, if you ask me that question today, I would say, you know, my son has had the biggest impact on me because it's given me a renewed sense of purpose about the work that I'm doing, the work that Ripple is doing, and the hope for the next generations. And and I think that I really do believe that there is a huge amount to be hopeful about and to be positive about. And so, yeah, I think the the answer would be my son. That is beautiful. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions would just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay, sure. What was your dream job as a child? Believe it or not, until about the age of 18, I wanted to be an accountant. <laughs> I bet you weren't Uh, expecting that. No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) What is one thing you've always wanted to do in life but never have? Write a book. How would you describe yourself in one word? Curious. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? It is possible to create a world in which everyone thrives. One person's gain doesn't have to be at the expense of someone else. What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Time. What is your favorite self-care practice? Running. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most, Liz? I think there's lots of different challenges that I've encountered along the way. And some of them have been kind of quite physical in their nature and being kind of in quite arduous conditions. But I think Becoming a parent was one that really required me to kind of almost rewrite my own story. You know, previously I'd overcome challenges at work by just working harder, staying longer, putting in more hours. And suddenly I had this other human in my life that meant that I couldn't do that and needed different things from me. And so I think that is one area where I've had to you know, go back and address some of the stories that I have about my own identity and who I am. And it's been magical, but it's also been really very difficult. You know, those 2am moments when you think, (laughs) what did I do? But I think it's so often the case that sometimes it's the biggest challenges that, you know, become our greatest strengths. Yeah. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? This is a great question and, and my answer here might be a little abstract, but I think we're very focused in our careers on you know making good choices about which particular field we want to go into. But actually, I think the earlier you become clear on your values the more those can inform the choices that you make along the way. And so, you know, for me, I was, I mentioned at the start of our our discussion, this very winding road that I've taken. And at times, I feel like I'm going somewhere, but I'm not really sure. But actually, as I went further down this path, I realized it was a path that really aligned with my values. And I think if I'd have realized that earlier on, I would have been more confident in the choices that I was making. I still feel like I 
stand by the choices that I made. But I think sometimes the way we are encouraged to think about a career can often be through a kind of financial lens or a job security lens or things that are a little bit more transactional. And when I think about how we all build our careers and the choices that we make, actually, at the end of the day, I think the people who are happiest and most content in their work are the ones that where their values and their purpose really aligns with what, what they're doing each day. Yeah, I would agree with that. That's beautiful. In the last two years, Liz, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? I think I'm going to say the power in the pause. As somebody who has long wrestled with meditation, mindfulness, you know, everything saying, you know, you need to adopt a mindfulness practice and always finding it very difficult to do that. I have over time realized that whatever that looks like for you, and it looks different for everybody. And I don't think any of us should feel like we have to conform to any particular practice that might work for somebody else. But actually, whatever it is, finding the space for the pause, because it's so easy in our day-to-day lives, especially when your work consumes a big part of you or you have care responsibilities, when you have things where you're on the go all the time, the pause just brings the clarity that actually we all need. And it's very difficult to make space for that sometimes, but it's something that I've tried to do with more consistency over the past two years and with mixed success. But I would say (laughs) when I do it, I can see the benefits. But at least you're trying, you're putting in the effort to do it. You're right. We we go through life and we're constantly checking off that list. Okay, right. Mm -hmm. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. It's, It's constantly checking off that list. And we don't take the time to slow down and smell the roses, so to speak, or to to pour into our own cups. And it's so necessary for us to do in order to be able to continue moving forward with who we are, the work we do, all of the aspects of our life. We need to to put ourselves first. We do. And that's the work that I do with some of my coaching clients is actually sometimes people do need to be given permission to do that. Now they shouldn't, but sometimes people who are really committed to serving others just need to be told that that's okay and just need some boundaries around which they can build that space to pause, build that space to take care of themselves. And, you know, that's not necessarily like soaking in the bath for an hour surrounded by candles. You know, it's not the same for everyone. Sometimes it's about just taking some breaths. Sometimes it's just about really going inside yourself and understanding the subconscious story you might be telling yourself that you're not aware of. And I think that's where, you know, some small changes in your practices can actually really have a positive impact. You know, you don't always need a two-week vacation. You don't yeah. need a vacation from your life. It's about, you know, building those small moments into your life that make it sustainable. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? I think I would say resilience. I say that was helpful. Sometimes probably to the detriment of my well-being. But I think resilience (laughs) and like not giving up and pivoting when something's not working, but actually not just walking away, but finding ways to keep going. And I, I hope that has been something, I think that's been something that's served me well, because sometimes the really great stuff is just the other side of where some people give up. And I think there have been times when I have done that. You know, I'm certainly not perfect, but I'm proud of times when I've worked through really uncomfortable periods in my life because it has been worth it. What do you see as your greatest accomplishment? I guess my greatest accomplishment is that 
I'm in a position now where I can help other people. And, you know, I've always wanted to live a life in a career of service and, you know, finding new and fascinating ways to be of service is something that invigorates me, that energizes me every day. And so, you know, my accomplishment, I hope, is being able to serve others. But, you know, it's not entirely selfless, actually, in the process, just meeting amazing people, just having really interesting experiences. And so I think being able to live that life on a day-to-day basis is something that I feel enormously grateful for. Beautiful. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Brad, you can imagine this is a question I find incredibly difficult. Yes. Because I (laughs) I have a list the length not just of my arm, it goes a a mile. So let me answer with a woman that's been on my mind recently. My son's preschool class has been studying Amelia Earhart this past month. And we've been reading all kinds of books about it. And it's just reignited my own interest in these women that really were doing extraordinary things before their time. Amelia Earhart, an aviation pioneer, the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She was really doing incredible things, but at a time when society was just not ready for her and everything that she was, you know, the status quo that she was challenging. And so I just would love to sit down with her and just ask her what that experience was like and where she found the motivation to keep getting up every day and pursuing her goal, even when probably at times it felt like the universe was conspiring against her. That is something that I would be fascinated to have an insight into her wisdom. That would be an incredible woman to speak with indeed, Mm -hmm. 100%. Liz, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? You need to waste less of your mental energy on self-doubt because it doesn't serve anybody. It just saps your energy. And I think sometimes we present as having it all together, being confident, showing up in the way that we think people expect of us. But in our heads, we're just thinking every other thought possible and it's exhausting. And so if I went back to my 20-year-old self, I'd say, Just let it go. Do great things. Say yes to every interesting experience and do it with passion and vigor. And sure, at times, things won't go as you expect, but it's going to be quite the ride. Love it. Lastly, Liz, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? We have so much opportunity to create a more just world where everyone thrives. And I think by listening to each other and realizing that we're all on the same side, there's so much greater possibility to create the world that we would all like to live in. And I think when we really start to think about what that looks like day to day, I'm so inspired by Edith Eger, who's a Holocaust survivor. And honestly, she's got so many inspirational quotes. But the one that really resonates to me is, The only place where we can exercise our freedom of choice is in the present. And I think those are the words that I try to carry with me every day. We only have this moment. So how are we going to use this to really create the world that we want to see? Wow, that is an incredibly powerful speech. Thank you so much for that, Liz. What a beautiful way to end the interview. Thank you so much for being here and being a guest on the Empowerography podcast. You are an incredible inspiration with 
all of the beautiful work you're doing and shining that bright, beautiful light out into the world to illuminate and amplify others' voices. It is so incredibly inspiring. So thank you for doing the work you do. And I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for all that you do too. You've created a wonderful community here and it's a real privilege to be part of it. Thank you so much. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Liz Bloomfield. She is the executive director of the nonprofit called Ripple Effect Images. Thank you so much, Liz. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thanks, Brad. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.